Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm gonna say is gonna be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is episode 101. If you're a first-time listener, I welcome you in and happy to have you. If you're a returning listener from the previous seasons, it is good to see your face again, if that's even a thing. The last podcast episode we did with this was for the Super Bowl. Typically, though, um, accustomed to this long summer break, Going to be honest with you, don't know a ton about baseball, and that's mostly what's going on. A little NBA. Typically, there's a playoff preview for that, and then a March Madness thing. This year, did not uh, get a chance to do either of those. Took a ton of time off, and very excited to get um, some episodes out for you guys, which is why we are here before the first week of college football. We didn't get any out before week zero. Didn't feel like those games, no offense to any of those teams, were big enough really to talk about. But we have some huge matchups in college football this week that we are going to get to. We're going to preview the college football season a little bit. I have a ton of listener mail sack questions that I'm going to get to before we get into any college football. And then next week, just a little rundown preview for what the fans have coming we are going to obviously recap the week in college football look at week two we were also going to do a massive nfl preview look at the week one games give predictions on who's going to win each division each conference the playoffs the super bowls the mvp the awards all of that that will all be next week um so just to clarify all of this week there are some questions in this week's mail sack um about some nfl and i'm still going to answer those obviously but i'm not going to get as in-depth as i would but again all this week college football and the mail sack and then next week we have really um we hit our stride what the listeners are typically acquainted to and uh we get into it but first like i said um we are back this is technically i think the seventh season of football that i've done this very grateful to have you all listening excited to get episode 101 rolling with that being said, like, rate, review, subscribe anywhere you get your podcast from, whether that is the podcast app on iTunes, um, Spotify, which we are on Spotify. We started doing that last year. Um, little um, life note of mine, I have actually made the switch of myself from podcast listening on Apple to Spotify. It is a revelation. I can't believe I ever really shitted on people that did this, but uh, Spotify, I think, is top-notch um, for podcasts as well as music. But, um, again, like, rate, review, subscribe, anywhere you get your podcast from. And now let's get into the mailbag. Our first question of the mail sack on this year's edition of Carson's Act comes from longtime listener, Paul Marino who asks, are you excited to have me on for the World Cup? For those living under a rock, uh, the world's game, a.k.a. football, uh, is hosting its biggest event of the year, um, the World Cup. And I had told Polly, she'd been on an episode before where she did stuff with the NFL draft and had some questionable takes. So I told her that given her 
prowess, her knowledge, whatever you'd like to say, um, of the world of soccer. I told her with the World Cup being on uh, this year that I would allow her to come on. So, yeah, you have that. That's a little teaser to look forward to. Am I really excited for that? Not, like, a ton, but, like, she's going to be on it. Um, So, we have that, I guess, to look forward to a little bit our next question comes from jake welker who says thoughts on the 49ers quarterback situation i've bought into trey lance i sort of bought into him last year but he did show in some game action um preseason last year and a little bit last year that he was still obviously a rookie and was making rookie mistakes and things like that this offseason the entire thought Obviously was the 49ers are going to trade Jimmy G, make that be Trey Lance's team. Now we learn um, previously this week that the 49ers are going to be bringing back Jimmy Garoppolo to be the backup. That all indications continue, yes, to be it's Trey Lance's team, but sort of a like the Brian Windhorse meme. Like why, why would they do that? I don't know if they're just, I mean, I think Trey Lance has played fine in the preseason, but um, whether people just weren't willing to take on Jimmy G's salary in a trade or what, or if I think maybe the 49ers are thinking, hey, maybe Trey Lance gets hurt or something. I don't know. Um, It's a hard situation to make out. I do think they are fairly committed to Trey Lance, and I think it's a good like fallback system because – Obviously, Garoppolo is good and has proven you can win with him there at quarterback. So I think it's a good situation. I would obviously, in a perfect world for the 49ers, Trey Lance balls out this year. They have him under rookie contract for another two years and they pick up his fifth option and then work on a contract because, I mean, they got Bosa and they just paid Debo and they got to pay their linebacker as well. So obviously you want Trey Lance to work out just because, one, you need a good quarterback in the NFL to win games, but you get him on the cheat for the next few years while you can build uh, other pieces around him. So um, I do think the 49ers are, I think they're about 95% in on Trey Lance. Like there's still that 5%, which I'm not really sure why or who that's saying like, hey, maybe Jimmy G, I don't know. But um, I don't think it's much like big to do. Um, I do think Trey Lance is the guy in the Bay. Jake Welker also follows it up with, also, what do you think about the other quarterback battles in the NFL this year? The Steelers, the Titans, Panthers, etc. Um, as we've seen with the Panthers, that's really not much of a battle. Um, I thought when they drafted Corral that they should have sort of kept Darnold. And then if Darnold started struggling, throw Corral in there. I mean, you used to pick on him. See what you got. I don't think he... I don't think they used that pick as him on him as a backup um obviously with the information we know now he got injured so his season's done Darnold I believe is out four to six weeks um and they named Baker Mayfield their starter whatever like as I told you all I think the last time we talked there were some questions about Baker Mayfield and the Browns and everything obviously um I'm a Browns fan but I was going to support him when he was my quarterback and when he wasn't I'm going to be pretty blatantly honest um Baker Mayfield is like below average quarterback he needs a lot of things to go right for him to be good some would say things need to go perfect for him um 
injury concerns last year, whatever, Baker Mayfield is that starting uh, quarterback for the Panthers, and that seems pretty easy. Um, the Steelers, I don't think they really know what they're doing there. Um, I think the idea that they entertained maybe Mason Rudolph playing as well and making like a three-horse race, that was fucking ridiculous. Mason Rudolph is bad. Like, he's not good. The most famous thing he's going to be known for after his time in the league, more than likely, is getting hit in the head with a helmet by Miles Garrett. Like, not for his quarterback play at all. Maybe dating the bachelor girl. Like, whatever. That's it. Um, I think unless Trubisky absolutely sucks, you should play with him. Like, he's shown that he can take teams with good defenses and... Eh, offenses, which I don't think the Steelers are an eh offense by any means. I mean, you got Deontay Johnson, you got Najee Harris, you got an okay offensive line, Chase Claypool as well. Um, I think there's more talent on that side of the ball on offense for him, obviously, than there ever was with him in Chicago, and he got them to the playoffs twice. Um, so I think Trubisky should be the choice, but obviously use a 20th pick or whatever it was by the Steelers on picket there's going to be a lot of pressure to play him especially as a rookie especially um with Trubisky plays bad and you use a first round pick on him you should have to play him so that's where my stance is ride Trubisky until the wheels fall off or until he absolutely sucks and then put picket in um and then the Titans I think it's in the same position there as well ride Tannehill until the wheels fall off maybe um use this year for Willis as like that gap year that happened with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith in Kansas City have Tannehill just be a consummate professional which it seems like he is um mentor tutor him whatever um and then next year let it be Willis's team and take over for that Moving on, we have a question from Jack Muldoon who asks, would you rather go to the Masters or play the old course? A slight flex, I have been to the Masters in 2010. It was awesome. I would love to go back, but if given this opportunity, um, I would much rather just go play the old course because I imagine I would turn that into a golf trip of some sorts. I'm imagining I'm going to take my dad over there if he would want to go, and we would just ball out and play golf and have a good time. So, oh, again, slight flex, but I would play the old course. Next question um, is a follow-up circle up back from Polly Marino who asked, will the Browns pick up Matt Ariza too? Um, no comment. Um, really the only thing I have to say is I think it's uh, your silence has been deafening on Matt Ariza um, and also how dare you make light and jokes of uh, sexual assault and gang rape. Uh, moving on. Matt Ewell is asked, if slash when Notre Dame beats Ohio State this weekend, does that ruin their chance of competing in the college football playoffs? Um, unless it's a blowout by Notre Dame, I absolutely don't think so. Um, Ohio State still has games against Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Michigan State, Michigan, and then a probably rematch of some sort between a Wisconsin or an Iowa, or if, say, Northwestern gets good, whatever. There's going to be an opportunity, Penn State as well, at Penn State. There's like six quality games left. They can at worst sneak into the four spot, I think. Um, but I, spoiler alert, I don't foresee um, them ending up losing this week. Our next question, not really a question, but comes from Kennedy Poston who says, Joe Burrow is so cute. 
No question, just a statement. We appreciate that anyway. Uh, next, Adam Blanford asks, who do you see as the biggest sleeper in fantasy this year from each position? Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I know it's not really much of a sleeper, um, and this is – I'm not going to spoil next week's oh, – here uh, – I do not want to spoil next week's episode because I do have like a few thoughts on this. I'll just say that I think a sleeper for quarterback, um, it's not even, he's like a top four quarterback, five quarterback in fantasy drafts right now, but I don't think he's getting enough respect. Um, I'll just say he plays for a team that is in Los Angeles. Um, And I will elaborate more on that next week. Running back, um... I know a lot of like sexy picks are like Brees Hall, which I hate that situation. I think a rookie that has a ton of potential um, and like sleeper wise that maybe more as the season goes along is James Cook because we've seen that that offense it's not really run heavy. And that is to a fault a little bit to the running backs. I don't think Devin Singletary is bad, but I do think James Cook with enough snaps and enough time to acclimate himself in the NFL could be a much better back and really add some balance to that. I like him, and I think J.K. Dobbins has a massive bounce back here. We've seen, obviously, they want to run the ball um, by just their offensive weapons. I would think J.K. Dobbins um, is going to be in line for a lot of touches. And then I've bought in on Saquon Barkley. I know he's not like a super sleeper type guy, but I've bought on him having a big year. Um, wide receivers, I would go with Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, I would also go with Rashad Bateman out of Baltimore. I know I just said running the ball was a big thing for Baltimore, but he's the number one receiver there. Um He's 1A. Obviously, Mark Andrews is probably like who Lamar's going to look to the most, but um, I just think Bateman has a ton of opportunity. A big reason, again, with Juju that I, going back to him, I think there is like over 300 targets up for grabs. And Juju Smith Schuster, he's only 25 years old. I know he's coming off injury, but he has the talent. He works out of the slot well. Tyree, I'm not comparing him to Tyreek Hill at all, but Patrick Mahomes likes guys to get guys the ball from the slot. So I think he has some potential. Deeper sleeper, Isaiah McKenzie um, for the Bills. I think he's going to be pretty decent. And then it's not really a sleeper, but um, I do think that Chris Olave down in uh, New Orleans has a chance to make a little bit of noise um, more as the season progresses. And then tight end, there's the big four. If you're looking for a deep one, I like Isaiah Likely for Baltimore. He's done extremely well. They're going to use a lot of two tight end sets. Cole Komet, um, I like him. I do also like David Njoku. Jacoby Brissett is going to start the first 11 games. He throws the ball to the tight ends a shit ton. Um, So those are some guys just to keep your eye on. Our next question comes from Jeff Prifty who asks, Is the mainstream national media putting too much hype around the... Ohio State University this season based off of a good offensive performance against a mediocre Utah team in the Rose Bowl. Um, Sure, they could be. Um, I don't think so. I think what the national media is seeing is that C.J. Stroud progressed a ton over last year. If you go back and you look at the Minnesota game, 
the Oregon game, and then having to take the game off where McCord started. And then I understand the Michigan game. He still played extremely well, um, but the team around him wasn't good enough, um, physical enough, which is sad to say, but I think they are hyping a little bit him, his growth, bringing back Travion Henderson, who had 15 total. Here, I can get into this a little bit. I wrote down a few stats. Uh, Henderson, 1,248 yards and 15 touchdowns. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba, 1,600 yards, um, 95 catches, and 9 touchdowns. I think that's what they're more hyping up. And I think they're also hyping up the addition of one of the best uh, defensive coordinators in football last year being added to a staff and bringing a very new, diverse system to what was previously a bit of, I don't want to say outdated, but um, a system that wasn't hasn't been good really since Jeff Halfley was there back in 2014. There was there were some players and there were some moments, um, but since then um, I do think the system was a little bit. Eh. So I think that's what more they're hyping up. And as I t- uh, replied to Jeff earlier, if it's the same national media that's telling me Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback, um, then yeah, they're fooling us all. Moving on, our next question comes from Ali Stevens, who asks, which Steeler jersey should I buy to replace my Juju jersey? I think TJ Watt is going to be in Pittsburgh for the rest of his career. I think Najee Harris, you can probably be a safe bet that he'll be on the roster for at least another four years, counting this year. Um, I think Pat Fryermuth is going to be there a while. You could go like retro and get a Heinz Ward, a Santonio Holmes, a James Harrison, um, Antoine Randall L, uh, Willie Parker, Jerome Bettis. There's tons of options there. Um, I would say if you're looking for current, though, I think you can't go wrong with a Najee Harris or a a Pat Fryermuth or TJ Watt. Moving on, Trent Revelette asks, how would you feel if you woke up tomorrow and your foot shrunk to a men's size six? Um, probably not great. Um, I'd have to go buy at least two to three new pairs of shoes. Wouldn't even know where to begin to shop for size six shoes in men's. I imagine I'm ordering online. It honestly really only affects me until I get new shoes, and then I mean, the initial shock to people and my friends, that's also another thing, but besides that, and maybe like the jokes that get made at my expense because of my small ass feet, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like having small ears, uh, looking at you, but um, yeah, I mean, really, I don't want size six feet but besides that nothing really changes in my life besides the like week two weeks I don't have like shoes that fit me I would honestly go out and buy like just the worst pair of shoes I could from Walmart in the meantime and then the constant like probably making fun of by my friend groups and then the initial shock of other friends and then being like what the fuck happened and I'd be like I don't know I just woke up like this Is there a problem? Uh, Besides that, that's really it. Trent also asked, what part of Louisville has the best chicken restaurants? Fern Creek. I've been saying that ever since 2015. Our next question comes from someone that wants to remain anonymous, 
but they ask, is this the year I win my fantasy league? Um, I think if you're infatuation with one player um, that you seem to have every year can be overcome, I think so. I liked your team a lot last year. You got a little unlucky with your second round pick. Um, I think you are one of the more knowledgeable, or at least you present yourself that way, um, and more like on top of the ball people in your league. So I think there is definitely a chance. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you handle um, that. I'd say the first five rounds, um, because I do think those are going to be the most important for you all guys, for you guys, like just getting solid base guys that you all can count on. Um, you specifically, um, I don't want to see you reach for anybody. Um, and I don't want to see you, overthink a pick um in those first five rounds but i think once things get going and if we are able to capital we if you are able to capitalize on some wave wire pickups here or there i do think you have a decent chance to at least make the playoffs and then in turn who knows anything can happen on a week-to-week basis in the fantasy playoffs but i think you got a decent chance to win if you get into the playoffs our next question comes from Brandon Blazer, um, who asks, best rookie wide receiver. Brandon, I hope you are acclimating well um, down to Florida before I get into the uh, specifics of this answer. I think the person with the most like upside this year it, going into like a situation that could make this be like a potential best wide receiver thing, I think you... Generally would probably go to somebody that got taken to a team with a good quarterback. The best quarterback that has multiple rookie ride receivers is Aaron Rodgers in the Packers with Romeo DeBose and Christian Watson from North Dakota State and Nevada. Um, DeBose, or however you say his name, he's been lighting up in preseason, but a lot of people aren't like saying that's going to really translate to Sundays and the reps and everything. I have no clue. I think it's going to, I think he has a pretty good chance um, just given his quarterback situation. Another guy that I like the situation he goes to just because there's a ton of targets. The team is probably going to be bad and the quarterback is decent. Um, I like Drake London a lot uh, down in Atlanta. Um, Sky Moore as well um, in Kansas City. He's got to crack the top three because right now I think it's running Juju, Scantling, and then Mikko Hardman. But like I said, there's 300-plus targets available in that Ross on that offense uh, that left this past year with Scantling gone, Tyreek gone, and a few other guys gone. Um, he's got a chance, but I don't know if he's going to see the field enough to be like the best rookie wide receiver this year. Um, I know a lot of people... I'm expecting when you say Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. I think Olave is more of a plug-and-play guy, and I like his quarterback situation about a thousand times more than I like Garrett Wilson's quarterback situation. Um, at the end of the day, I'm probably more leaning. Uh, I did think John Mechie down in uh, Texas was going to be sneaky good. Like He was going to probably do what like maybe a K.J. Osborne or like a Nico Collins did for them last year. But I think at the end of the day, just you take everything into account. I'm a bit more likely to take 
probably one of the Packers receivers or Drake London as like the best rookie wide receiver just because of the two reasons I mentioned, the quarterback play and then the just volume of targets that Drake London is going to get because it's really just Drake London and Kyle Pitts catching the ball down there in Atlanta. Uh, Our next question comes from Bailey, Trent's girlfriend, Layman. Are you excited for your golf trip? I have a few coming up. Um, I'm excited for all of them. I've got one to Indiana um, and then one with my dad. We're staying local for our father-son golf trip this year, um, and I'm excited for all of those. Um, Moving on, Jack Modoon circles back with a question, um, getting back at Matt Ewell's. Do you think Matt Ewell's could have made the NFL if he dedicated all of his time and effort to it? Let me... Let me throw some ideas at you. I think if we're going the traditional route of having to get to the NFL, you typically, obviously you go from college to the NFL, you start at high school. To get into college, typically you need to have at least decent grades. So he's got to, if all he's paying attention to is football, absolutely not. He can't. But if we just bypass all those things and we're like, literally, hey, Yules, if you're good enough, they're going to sign you after four years of like working out, which here, if you're good enough, we'll say three, um, training, everything. And that's that. Um, I don't, but I do think he could like, I think Yules probably maxes out like talent wise as like a really good intramural player in college. Like if he devoted his entire life to it. Maybe even like sneaks on to some Division 2, Division 3 team as like a really inline blocker tight end like they they bring him on, they know, maybe maybe he's a wide receiver on like a triple option team. Um something like that on a Division 3 school. Um or a really good intramural team. Um, player in college but to the NFL absolutely not Um, and then our last question comes our last two questions comes from Mike Bennett um, who asked will Kyler Murray still be the starter in Arizona in three years yes he will 100% they just devoted all that money to him and if anybody's going to be replaced in that situation it's going to be Cliff Kingsbury not Kyler Murray it's so much easier to hit on a good NFL coach, I feel like, um, than it is to hit on a quarterback. I was going to save this to next week, but I'll do it now. The NFL quarterback is one of the most um, exclusive jobs in the world. Only 32 people get to do it, and we can barely find 20 good ones. Um, they're going to hold on to Kyler Murray do basically whatever he wants because they know he's a good NFL quarterback. And then the last question, I'm glad we're talking a little bit about this. I'm not going to get super into it um, because the golf season is winding down. But Mike asked, would you sign to be a commentator for Live Golf for $2 million? I, when I got this question um, on Instagram and everything, I racked my brain a little bit, went through the pros and cons, Given where I'm at right now, I would probably say yes, but I would also say no. Like, I 100% see both sides to it. Um, If I say yes, obviously I'm $2 million richer. I get to cover golf. I love golf. Um, But 
I think the big reason I would say no, and I probably do like ultimately say no. One, the backlash. I really don't want to handle that. I don't want like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any other social media is just fucking flaming me. Um, number one, I'd probably get flamed because I've never announced before. Second, I'm signing with just a terrible organization like Live. Um, and then, like I said, I get flamed for that. And then my other thing is, say I sign for Live and for these $2 million. So it's me, Faraday, and I think it's three other people that are part of the commentary team. What happens when, like, some of the golfers that are experiencing it now, better, more talented people become available, they get hired, and now I'm out of a job. Yes, I have $2 million, but I'm known as this fucking dickhead that went and worked for Live. I'm this sellout. I, I just don't know how, like progression-wise, career-wise, how I recover and rebound from that um, is another big thing that I thought of. And also, um, a big reason that I would say no, obviously, the 9-11 stuff, the women's rights, the human rights, all that. I, uh, I Those big things, on top of getting fucking roasted on Twitter by people um, and career development potential... Um, things like that, I, I'm going to say no. I politely, politely decline. Um, but if the PGA Tour ever wants to work with me or, um, I will sidetrack, side note. Before the live came up, there was the PGL or whatever. And I emailed the guy, said, Hey, I'd love to work in your social media. Um, he said he'd get back to me when that hiring process all started. Um, I'm still waiting on that email. He's not responded to, uh, I've not followed up yet because obviously there's no been developments, but I'm still waiting on an email from that guy when that time comes. So hopefully I just get in with the PGL and take off from there. But, uh, no, Mike, to answer your question, I am not going to be working, uh, for the live. That is going to do it for the mail sack this week. Thank you all so much for sending in those questions. As I typically say, uh, when I'm wrapping up that segment, that is not possible without you all. So thank you all very, very much. Um, keep your eyes peeled for Snapchat and my Instagram. I'm going to put out uh, the stories that I typically do asking for those questions again next week for next week's episode before the NFL preview. Now we transition from the listener questions into the meat of this episode, the college football preview. All right, so welcome in. Uh, grab a drink, um, do whatever, get comfortable because we have a decent amount to get through. Um, I think the best way for me to go about this is I'm going to go through week one. I'm going to talk about the big games and then any team that I don't get to, I'm going to go through and uh, talk a little bit. I'm sort of going through top 25s. I have a few sleeper teams that aren't really like sleepers, but just teams lower in the top 25 that I want to talk about a little bit. And then um, I'll give you my Heisman pick and I will give you my college football playoff pick and I will give you my uh, national championship pick at the very end. Uh, up first, just going down the list, um, I'm going to start with Notre Dame, Ohio State. 
looking at this game right now, um, Ohio State is sitting at a 17-point favorite. I think it opened up around 12 or 13, and it's ballooned all the way up uh, to 17, what it is now. Um, To be quite honest, as an Ohio State fan, um, I'm not really all that concerned in this. Um, I I just think they win. I don't think Notre Dame has enough um, just offensive firepower. Obviously, um, with Mayer, the tight end, who is baby Gronk, basically, you got to put a hat on him, know where he's at at all times. And then they have decent front sevens on both sides of the ball. Um, I mean, you got Foskey and Bertrand on the front seven um, for the defensive side of the ball. Those two guys are extremely good. Um, the center, Patterson, returning, he's very good. Um, you add Joseph, the Northwestern transfer in the secondary. There's pieces all over this team, and I think this team under Marcus Freeman, recruiting-wise and everything, is going to be better in future years. But right now, I just think there's too much of a talent gap. Um, so, for example... Um, Ohio State, they were one of the youngest teams in football um, last year. They bring back a ton of talent. They bring in a new defensive coordinator to address the issues. Um, Obviously, coaches for this team aren't going to come out and be like, oh, this this team sucks. Like the defense, the new defense isn't like what we thought it was going to, all this stuff. But you just read some of the quotes talking about how fast they've been playing, how physical they've been playing, um, how quickly they've been picking up the new defense. The different players um, each week, each day that have impressed with Lathan Ransom, which is extremely impressive to come back so quickly and be impressing so much after he broke his leg in the Rose Bowl. Um, You have a ton of talent um, across the board on the defensive side of the ball um, for Ohio State. You have JTT and Jack Sawyer on the defensive line to pair with Zach Harrison. You have a plethora of linebackers led by Steel Chambers who hopefully under this new system, is able to more just react and fly around rather than having to like think his way, which at times he was doing. The secondary with Ransom, um, you get Josh Proctor back after he was hurt all of last year. You get second-year Denzel Burke, who was one of the brighter spots on the team. Um, there's a ton of talent there. And then obviously, offensive side of the ball, um, returning, you have C.J. Stroud, over 4,000 yards, 44 touchdowns as a true for, as a freshman, excuse me, as a redshirt freshman, um, and then as I had mentioned earlier, Trayvon Henderson, 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 1,600 yards, 95 catches, nine touchdowns. You pair that with Julian Fleming, a number one wide receiver in his class, who finally seems to be of health, um, 100% healthy, had a what is described as his best offseason. You have Marvin Harrison Jr., you have Emeka Abuka, um, you have Mayan Williams at running back, Dallin Hayden as well. There's just, I think in this game specifically, there is quite a large talent gap um, that I think is going to be able to show. Worst case scenario, um, the offensive line is not good. And the defense is not figured out. And then Notre Dame is able to really just be able to control the ball, time of possession, everything like that. I don't, that's the worst case scenario. And there might be times where, like, defensive wise, Ohio State might give up a big play or a chunk play or something like that. And Notre Dame is going to be able, I think, to score the ball and maybe, I don't want to say move the ball at will because I don't think that's the case, but there's going to be drives where 
like plays are put together and they're like aka marching down the field just because I think it's the first game the defensive scheme is a little complex I think he said he has about 75 to like 80 percent um of it put in said Jim Knowles um but at the end of the day um I think Ohio State wins I don't know if they cover um I do think 17 is a shit ton of points but I do think hands down they win that game quite easily uh, next on the docket, we have Georgia against Oregon. Georgia, five defensive players taken in the first round of the draft. How are they going to be able to replace them? I think there's the way Kirby Smart has been recruiting down there, the talent is going to be able to be there. Um, it's just how quickly are they able to um, come in um, and play at a level close to what they did last year, which is asking a bunch, I understand, um, but it'll be interesting to see if they are able to do that with who they have. And then obviously the big thing, which maybe the most impressive group um, tight end-wise, obviously, um, is Georgia. You have Bowers, Washington Jr., and Eric Gilbert um, coming in there. Your three tight ends. I think Stetson Bennett is going to, obviously, lean on Bowers. He has a repertoire with him from last year, but I think um, that group right there is extremely talented, and Bennett is going to lean on those guys a lot. And then McIntosh and Milton at the running backs. Um, this offense works and does well a lot when the run game is prevalent and there. Um, so if those two guys are able to step up, um, which I think they should, and I think they're going to obviously use both of them um, and alleviate some pressure off Bennett and the defense can... I'm not saying it needs to be as good as last year because obviously that's such a tall ask. And I think Georgia has a fairly easy schedule this year. I know we're just sort of supposed to be talking about this game. But, I mean, you look at it, you got Oregon, then Samford at South Carolina, which, eh, whatever. Kent State, Missouri sucks. You welcome Auburn. You welcome Vanderbilt. Florida, who... I'm higher on than most, but nobody's really buying into them this year with Napier, his first year. I'll talk about them a little bit later on against Utah. And then you have Tennessee coming to Georgia. People around here are going to try and make Georgia coming to Lexington and facing Kentucky a big deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Spoiler alert for Kentucky preview a little bit later on. But again, there's a little bit of a rundown. I think Georgia has a fairly good chance uh, to find itself back in the playoffs some way or another. But back to this game, uh, we look across the field to Oregon. They bring in Bo Nix. They bring in Dan Lanning, Georgia's defensive coordinator last year. Um, a big thing with me that I like about this Oregon team, um, and I saw it firsthand against Ohio State, and then I saw it firsthand against Oregon twice. Um, they got manhandled against uh, Utah, excuse me, um, but they overpowered the shit out of Ohio State with the running, um, but all five linemen for Oregon are back. I think that's huge for their chances in the Pac-12. In this game, I don't think it matters all that much. I think Bo Nix is good for like a typical Bo Nix game, a few plays where you're like, what the fuck, and then a few plays you're like, what the fuck, how did he make that play? Um and I just think, ultimately, though, Georgia is a much more well-rounded, sound team. Not really going to make a lot of mistakes. Sort of just going to be able to lean on them like a boa constrictor type. Just like 
oh, here's seven points here. Oh, here's a tackle for loss here. Here's, oh, three points there. Dink, dunk, boom. And all of a sudden, Georgia's up like 21-3, and people are like, what the fuck is going on? This is supposed to be a good game. Um, And I think it's just going to be something like that um, for this week. Uh, So I take Georgia in that game, obviously. Moving on down the line, a big one, Utah at Florida. Utah, Cameron Rice in the quarterback coming back, and then Tavion Thomas, the running back coming back, and then Phillips, the cornerback, um, who I think was extremely talented, had a great season last year um, going up against Florida in their first game. Um, so for them, Rick Perschel, the wide receiver from coming over from Arizona State, he's a big deep threat guy. It'll be interesting to see how um, they get him involved. Montrell Johnson coming over from Louisiana, um, it'll be he's got 12 touchdowns last year. Um, it's going to be imperative for Florida to be able to have like it can't all be on Anthony Richardson. And I think I've been quoted to people saying that I think Anthony Richardson is the second best quarterback in the SEC. Obviously, you go Bryce Young, but then I just think that he is good. Like, very good. You look at his stats last year, I know it's not like great. He had six touchdowns and five interceptions and then 401 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Like I know that's not like second quarterback in the SEC good, but I think he showed flashes. I think the situation was bad last year. He was flirting back and forth with the bench because of Emory Jones and everything. He's gone now. I think Napier might believe in him a little bit more. And I don't even think he's the best quarterback on his roster. I think that's Jack Miller, but that's neither here nor there. Um, continuing with Florida, um, you have Ventral Miller, the linebacker, who I think is going to have to really set the tone along with the rest of Florida's front seven in this game because Utah is so well known, um, it seems like, in the last few years for their physical style of play. Um, I think going to Florida might be a little tough. Right now, Utah's a three-point favorite. God damn, Vegas is good at making these lines. Um, the game's at 7-2. I will go... I'm going to say Utah wins, but I think it is an extremely close game. I think Anthony Richardson has a very good game um, in this first week. Um, then And then a big one... Um, as well, um, you could. I would. I think these teams are very much alike. Um, you have Cincinnati and Arkansas. Looking at a few teams and stats from here, uh, Arkansas they led the SEC in rushing yards last year. Uh, KJ Jefferson six hundred and nine yards. Uh, excuse me, 669 yards on the ground last year, six touchdown runs um, through the air, 21 touchdowns, only four picks, so he was taking uh, care of the ball. And then Jaden Hasselwood, the Oklahoma transfer over at wide receiver, um, I think it's going to be a group effort, obviously, by the Arkansas receivers replacing uh, Traylon Burks, but I think there is um, potential to do that. Um, I like Arkansas a decent amount this year. Um, with Cincinnati, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle with how many people they lost in the NFL draft and everything. Um, they have to replace nine players, obviously, starting up top with Desmond Ritter, who was um, sort of synonymous, I feel like, 
with Cincinnati since he got on campus and really help spark like a resurgence and everything. It'll be interesting to see what Luke Fickle does. Um, and because of that, I mean, it's at Arkansas too. I, I'm going to take Arkansas in this one. I just think they are going to be able to take care of the ball a little bit, sort of like Georgia is going to be able to do against Oregon, maybe impose their will, lean on them a little bit, um, and be able to win this game. So I'm going to take Arkansas in this one. So those are the bigger games from week one. Um, We start on Thursday, September 1st, with a few games. Uh, West Virginia and Pitt. I'm not sold on Pitt at all. Even with adding them, Keenan Slovis, they lose Addison, uh, the wide receiver who won the Blitnikoff last year to USC. I'm extremely out on Pittsburgh this year. I think West Virginia has a chance to win this game, um, and I don't think Pitt is all that great, to be quite honest with you, but I think the 17th ranking is a little bit of like respect from last year, but I think West Virginia has a chance to win this game. Um, it'll be interesting on Friday to see um, Mel Tucker, how his team's doing with replacing Walker. Um, but they have some fairly decent talent there um, in, uh, what's it called, in Lansing. Um, they add Broussard, um, the running back from Colorado, and Berger, running back from Wisconsin, um, who I imagine they're going to implore as a 1-2. Um, Thorne to Reed, that quarterback-wide receiver connection, um, could be decent um I do think Reed is a very good wide receiver Thorne is a real up and down quarterback at times um the big thing with them though um is the secondary um they get a lot of guys back but we don't know if that's really a good thing or not because it was very bad last year at times um but it'll be interesting to see if there's any steps taken with their improvement or anything but uh yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, also, do want to talk about Kentucky a little bit. Obviously, um, they lose Wondell Robinson. They add Robinson for Virginia Tech. He's going to be um, wide receiver one. But then uh, Key and Brown, two freshman wide receivers, the last time I saw a depth chart, they were the other two starting receivers. That's going to be really interesting. Um, and then you have, obviously, Cavassier Smoke and then the transfer, Jefferson, um, for however long Chris Rodriguez is going to be out, how that's going to go. Um, they've used two running backs before. They're good enough to do it. The big blue wall isn't, I think, as big this year. Um, I still think they're a good unit, but obviously not as good as they've been in the past. It'll be real interesting to see because I think there's so much expectation on Will Levis um, this year. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to really take that leap and go from this complimentary quarterback, this really good play-action deep ball guy, to can he make all the throws? Can he be a drop-back quarterback? Can he? Obviously, he's mobile. We've seen that, but... Can he stand in the pocket, navigate the pocket, move around a little bit without just obviously taking off? If I want him to use his legs at times when he has to, use them by all means. Um, if you're able to, I don't want to take that away. But I just think a lot of question marks more surrounding Kentucky and a bit of blind confidence by Kentucky fans going into this year than... Um, Maybe what they necessarily should, uh, to be quite honest with you. But they open up with Miami of Ohio. Um, That's a win, obviously. Moving on. um, Those are like the big games. 
And then a few, like, decent, obviously, like, good games that I want to talk about a little bit. I will now, I guess I'll get into just some notes and thoughts about uh, some top 25 teams. And I guess I'll just start at the top, Alabama. Uh, 13-2 and two last year, Will Anderson potentially the number one player in the country, um, number one draft pick. Um, they're replacing a decent amount of O-line players and a decent amount of skill players. We've seen this before, though. It seems to be like a factory with Alabama, just one after the other. Um, their wide receivers, taking note, the depth chart I've looked at, they've got Burton and Holden. Two juniors um, at wide receiver, and then um, Prentice, Prentice, however you say it, freshman. He is slotted in to be the third receiver. Um, it's on those guys to step up. I think Bryce Young can elevate their play a little bit, but as we saw in the national championship game, after they lose Mechie and they lose uh, Jamison Williams, you can only elevate the guys so much. Like Bryce Young can throw the ball, but he obviously can't catch it as well. Um, There were times that his playmakers in that game let him down a little bit. And not every team they're going to play this year, Alabama, is as good as Georgia's defense last year. I don't think any of them are really going to be as good as Georgia's defense was last year. But obviously, um, just some things to look at with them. But it's Alabama. There's definitely talent there. Um, I do have them doing... Spoiler alert, fairly well this year, um, even despite a few of those concerns. Uh, We talked about Ohio State. We talked about Georgia. Clemson, this is um, the first year with no Brent Venables, no Tony Elliott, um, both offensive coordinators. It's just really going to come down to whether um, DJ, the quarterback, returns to the form that we saw in the one Notre Dame game two years ago during the COVID year, or if it's what we saw of him last year. Um, they have a talented freshman quarterback in there. Um, we've seen it in the past. Dabo is not afraid to pull a older starter guy. We saw that with Bryant, um, with Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. He has no issue doing it. Um, I think there's a possibility that happens this year. Clemson's led by Brees on the defense side of the ball and Miles Murphy as well, two talented linemen there. Um, I think it sort of goes back to a little bit like the Clemson of old. They should probably be in the ACC championship discussion, obviously, um, but I'm still not 100% sold on quarterback play there. And you obviously have to have a good quarterback to make a ton of noise um, when it comes time in the playoffs. Moving on, we talked about Notre Dame. Up next, Texas A&M. I am so perplexed on Texas A&M. It is absolutely sickening. Uh, A little sad for you about Texas A&M. Jimbo, um, in his time there, has one year with four losses or fewer. Um, So Jimbo's basically... Guaranteeing you four losses there. A lot is to be made about the recruiting class he has coming in. Um, Say what you will about it, how he got it, whatever. It's extremely talented. Um, It'll be interesting to see how those guys are brought into the fold. We look at it, there's basically three quarterbacks there on the team. Um, Haynes King and then uh, Max Johnson. Um, He came in last year against Buffalo and won. Um, Both of those guys probably seem to be biding their time um, until the freshman, Connor Wiseman, is ready ready to take over. Um, It baffles me that there's not, like, with all the money that's being thrown around, 
and everything, why Texas A&M can't get like a top five quarterback every year. Um, wide receiver wise, Iona Smith, um, he's a big downfield threat though. Had a few off the field problems um, this past year. Um, Evan Stewart and Jalen Preston, uh, I think those two guys at wide receiver, Preston averages 15 yards a catch last year. There's a good chance those guys need to step up um, in case Smith, there's an absence with him or anything like that. So they're able to really stretch the field at times. I do think they need maybe some guys to be able to hit those quick slants underneath routes, be able to go across the middle because they have the speed and everything, but I need a possession guy as well. Um, running back, Devon uh, Akshney, however you say his last name, I apologize. He had nine touchdowns last year, 910 yards, average seven yards uh, per carry. Pretty decent, pretty good. Like that a lot. Um, they bring back three offensive line starters. The defense from last year, they were 14th in total defense and third in scoring. And this is where, as I mentioned earlier, the um, recruiting class comes in. They lose all of their defensive front starters. There's a ton of talent coming in with Walter Nolan, um, Yanni White, and a few other guys. It's going to be very interesting to see how those guys acclimate themselves to college football especially college football in the SEC, how quickly they are able to make an impact. Um, there's talent on this team. I'm a little skeptical skeptical about Jimbo, and I'm a little skeptical about the quarterback play as well. Um, moving on, we talk about Texas A&M. We talked about Utah. Now let's talk about my favorite team, the team up north, let's talk about Michigan. Where are they at on my sheets? Michigan. McNamara is going to start the first game. Uh, JJ, the other quarterback they have there, is going to start two games. I meant to also say this with Texas A&M, but it also applies here. If you got two quarterbacks, or in Texas A&M's case, if you got three quarterbacks, do you really have one? Um, I don't love that they're going to be, like, there's no decision made. Um, I think JJ is probably a little bit better, has more talent, like, quarterbacking-wise. Um, I think McNamara is a good game manager, and for the team they had last year, that's great. But I think they lose a, enough where a quarterback is going to have to maybe save them at times, and I think J.J. McCarthy is the guy to do that. Um, there's new offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, Corum, the running back, is back, and then their line is okay. They were voted the best offensive line last year in the country. I think... Um, and they lost some pieces with that. They bring a few back. Their line should be fairly good as well. And then uh, the wide receiver, Bell, is back for them after injury last year. Um, so I think they're going to be a little bit more balanced than what they were last year. I think they really leaned on the run last year. Um, I think they're going to be in a few games this year where maybe they fall behind or something. And they're not going to be able to just run the ball. And then they sort of get in trouble a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, there's my breakdown on them. They'll be probably second in the Big Ten East, like back to where they typically are, but that's fine. Um, it's crazy to me how they didn't really capitalize on the recruiting at all from last year after such a monumental win um, against Ohio State and then making the playoff for the first time under Harbaugh, everything like that. They really didn't capitalize with that, so it'll be interesting to see um, not only this year but future years how 
um, talent and everything is up in Ann Arbor. Moving on, we didn't get to talk about Oklahoma. I'll do that a little bit now. Um, Dylan Gabriel coming in, transfer um, from UCF. The new head coach, Brent Venables, I think is, like everybody is saying, is going to bring a different type of toughness than what has traditionally been in Oklahoma in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, Dylan Gabriel last year, though, for UCF was injured, but 814 yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, took care of the ball um, pretty well. The last time he was fully healthy, he accounted for through the air, uh, 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, and only four interceptions. So, yeah, he takes care of the ball well. Uh, I think in a system that is a little bit more quarterback-friendly, those numbers are going to take a fairly decent jump up. A lot of people are saying maybe a potential Heisman sleeper, given uh, what this offense, which without Lincoln Riley, it'll be interesting to see. But Venerables bought in a fairly decent uh, offensive coordinator as well. I think he understands, like, that's sort of where his, like, not deficiency, but, like, he's obviously a defensive-minded coach, so he needed to bring in somebody to be able to just go and handle the the offense. So he brings in a good coach there. Um, I think Oklahoma will be fine. I think it's basically a two-and-a-half, three-team race in the Big 12 between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Um, I'd take that back. Three to four team with Baylor, um, but it'll be interesting to see how Venables does in his first year down there. I think they'll be probably second, probably second in that conference. Um, I just mentioned Baylor, so let's talk a little bit about um, about Baylor. Dave Arnada, the coach there, um, he chooses to go with Blake Sharpen over Bohannon. Uh, a little stat for them last year, which I think really describes what Arnada wants to do with this team. They averaged uh, 2.06 more rush yards per rush than they allowed. Um, they also had 20 more sacks than they allowed. Um, I think defensive play and the trench play is very important to them. Um, a bit taboo, if you will, for um, Big 12 play, but... I think it starts with defense for them. Um, the offense isn't really like a huge concern, and I don't think that's really going to change. I like uh, Blake there, quarterback for them. I think Baylor has a chance to uh, win this game. Not this game, but win this conference. Um, I don't know. I think there might be some like cannibalization amongst this, like Texas and Baylor and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think they might like just all end up be beaten up on each other and nobody from the Big 12 make the playoff. But uh, yeah, I like Baylor a decent amount um, in this. Uh, continuing on, we talked about Oregon. Talking about Oklahoma State now. Um, I think they're going to regress. Um, Spencer Saunders, he's extremely inconsistent. Um, and that's really all I have to say. You, you're... You don't know what you're going to get with him. Um, and we can look at his last performance. Obviously, they win that game. He has an incredible um, second half and everything. Leads them on the comeback. But I think there's too many times we've seen we get first half Spencer Saunders than when we get second half um, Spencer Saunders going back to that Fiesta Bowl last year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not super in on Oklahoma State, but I think they can like be competitive 
in the Big 12 and cost some teams like chances in the playoff, but I don't think they're going to be sniffing playoff contention at all. Uh, another team here that I'm not super high on, um, I've not bought in yet just because it's been like, hey, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, can't get fooled again. North Carolina State, Devin Leary um, comes back, quarterback, everybody's hyping him up. Um, a big thing with um, North Carolina State, which I think might be getting a little too much play because I don't think their defense was like, it was fine, like it was fine last year. Uh, Ten starters returned on defense. So you pair a good defense with Nick Leary, who should be. Let me go back. You pair a defense that is hopefully improved um, with Devin Leary, who is a very good college quarterback. Um, yeah, there's reason to be excited um, if you're a North Carolina State fan. But also, I think you need to be cautiously optimistic because that's there's been this story before. North Carolina State has the talent. They bring some guys back. They're excited, and then they go and they finish eight and four. They're playing in the Tax Layer Bowl, and we call that like an OKC. Like it's a disappointment. Just need to keep expectations in check for North Carolina State. Um, but I do like them a little bit. Um, I'm not. I'm not as all the way bought in as some people. Um, they've not won at Clemson um, in 20 years. That'll be an extremely fun game to watch um, when the time comes for that. Um, let me see when that game is. The North Carolina State plays Clemson October 1st, so in a little under a month. Um, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Moving on, mm, ooh, USC. Uh, last year, 6.37 yards per play on defense um, that they allowed. That's 112th in the nation. Obviously, they add Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, the running back from Oregon. They bring over Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, um, and they add Austin Jones, running back from Stanford. The offense is not going to be an issue. The defense and the front set of uh, def- the defense, defensive line concerns me, and then the offensive line as well. Um, it's great that you have all these weapons, but can you? Give your quarterback time. Can you open up running lanes? Things like that. That is a big question with me with USC. I think they're probably they're going to be able to score enough points. They're I think they are like Big Twelve West at the moment. Um, they're going to be able to put up points and be an exciting team to watch. But I think if they get into like slugfest with Oregon or they get into slugfest with Utah, that's when things are going to get ugly and um, not really be up to snuff and they'll get beat. But USC will be a fun team to watch. I mean, they go to Stanford um, in the second week. They open up with Rice. That's not really anything crazy. But uh, they have to go to Utah. Um, and then the they, last game of the year, Notre Dame. Notre Dame should probably be in some decent form by then. They don't have to play Utah until if they make it the Pac-12 championship. So, yeah, um, USC has a favorable-ish schedule, but it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, Miami, I'm not sold on them at all. Um, we talked, excuse me, I skipped over Michigan State. We already talked about them a little bit. I'm not sold on Miami like at all. I don't think their quarterback is as good as everybody thinks they are. We talked about Pitt, Wisconsin. Um, I think that team 
starts and ends with Allen at running back. He was extremely good last year. Um, I think he's going to have another great year this year. We talked about Arkansas sitting at 19th. Uh, 20th, UK, we talked about them a little bit. I like Ole Miss sitting there at 21. I think uh, they're going to be able to make a little noise this year. A, a toughish schedule. Um, they welcome, they're in their first top 25 matchup at the time. They welcome UK. No clue what UK is going to be there. But um, they have to go to LSU. They have to go to Texas A&M. They welcome Alabama. They have to go to Arkansas. And then they end with the Egg Bowl, toss-up, whatever there. Um, I think Kiffin needs to go with Jackson Dart. I liked him at USC. I think he has talent. And then they get Zach Evans from TCU, a fantastic running back there. It'll just be interesting to see um, really what um, this Ole Miss team is like because I think this team is either going to be fantastic or it's going to be like shit. I don't really think there's much middle ground with this team with Lane Kiffin. Uh, continuing on, we look at Wake. The big thing with Wake Forest sitting at 22 is Sam Hartman, their quarterback, uh, gone. I like this team's potential with him. Without him, I think they are just a middling uh, ACC team. I don't. I don't know what's wrong with Sam Hartman. I don't know if it's been released yet or anything. If it's something personal or health, medical-wise, I uh, I wish him nothing but the best, obviously. A uh, very interesting team to me, uh, sitting at uh, number 24, you have Houston. Let me see. I did take notes on Houston. Let me see if I can find them somewhere. Okay, I got them. Uh, Dana Hogerson, obviously known for air raid, um, offense, things like that, but his team defensive wise in 2021 ranked six nationally in total defense, um, under coordinator Doug Belk. He's only 34. He's able to connect with kids, obviously like that. He's probably going to be a hot commodity, um, coming if he can continue to turn out, um, performances like that, um, Passer-wise, um, Clayton Toon running the air raid offense. Career-wise, he has over 7,900 yards. Um, and then he has an extremely fast receiver in Nathaniel Dell, a.k.a. Tank. Um, I think Houston has a chance to challenge uh, Cincinnati in the AAC. Um, just a gut feeling there. Um, I like what the defense is probably going to be, and I think the offense is going to be good enough Um where they can challenge Cincinnati in that conference. And then closing out the top 25, you have BYU. Uh, 15 of the 16 top tacklers are back on this team. Jaron Hall, uh, quarterback-wise, 2,500 yards last year, 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Uh, He takes care of the ball. He's mobile enough to be a threat with his legs. Um, I like what they have there on offense as well, especially um, with him. And then they bring back, like I said, a ton of defensive talent. Looking at their schedule, though, let me see. Um, They open up this week with, if the app loads, South Florida. And then second week, Baylor-BYU. That's going to be a crazy good game. Then they go to Oregon. They, they have Notre Dame. They have Arkansas. Shout out to BYU for fucking playing a tough-ass schedule. I mean, shit. Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas. Then it falls off a little bit, but they play Liberty, Boise State, and then they close at Sanford. Hats off to BYU for getting out there. Um, 
that closes out the top 25. Um, some other teams I feel like I should talk about a little bit. Uh, Texas, are they back? Are they not back? Uh, Quinn Ewers, I think, is a talented enough quarterback. Bijan Robinson is one of the best running backs in all the country. Xavier Worthy at wide receiver. All of this is great, but that offensive line, I think, is not good, like, at all. And Quinn Ewers can't throw from his back. So I don't think they're officially back yet. I think they're going to be um, sort of like USC, like, exciting. Like, they're going to be decent enough. Um, let me see at Texas's schedule here uh, who they got. It's crazy that they didn't get in the AP poll, but uh, one coach's poll, they had them at like six, 16th or 17th. Uh, they play Alabama Week 2. We know that. That's a, I think that's not good. Like, that's not going to be a good time uh, for Texas's fans. Um, and then sort of some get-right games before Oklahoma the second week of October. Iowa State is always dangerous. They have to go to uh, Oklahoma State. And then they have to go to Kansas State. I think Kansas State's going to be dangerous this year with uh, Vaughn there at running back. His little, sort of swan song. And then they close the year with Baylor. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think Texas is going to be better than they were last year, but not back, if you will. So if you want to say, like, they're back because they're better than last year, go right ahead. Um, I think you have that prerogative. Uh, Tennessee um, is getting a little love nationally. Uh, you have Hayden Hooker there at quarterback. He did extremely well under Heupel's uh, new offensive system. They have a good O-line, good skill players, um, but it's still Tennessee. Um, I'm going to need to see a little bit more from them before I, like, fully commit. Um, UCLA was my team last year, like my little fun team uh, this year. I still like them just because uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, um, I think he is wildly underrated um, just quarterback-wise, probably college quarterback-wise. I don't know if his game translates super well to the NFL, but UCLA loses nine defensive starters. They lose an offensive line coach. They get a new defensive coordinator as well. I don't think it's going to be super great um, for the Bruins this year, but... They started out hot last year. I think they might have a chance to do that this year, and I implore you to watch one game of Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I've been a fan of them ever since the wild game they had against Washington State a few years ago. I implore you, like I said, to watch one game of his. Before I get into my college football playoff and my national championship picks, I do want to talk a little bit about the Heisman Um Bryce Young comes back, has a chance to do something only Archie Griffin has done, uh, repeat. I don't see that happening. Uh, Bryce Young has the second biggest odds uh, at plus 350. Um, in front of him is C.J. Stroud at plus 200. Following Bryce Young in third is Caleb Williams at 700. Will Anderson, who I think would just have to have a insane season, Um is at plus 2,000. Bijan Robinson is at plus 2,000 as well. I don't hate that, but like they don't give that to running backs anymore, um, which is crazy. I don't really get why. Um, you also, Quinn Ewers is getting some love at plus 2,800. I don't fucking love that. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, these numbers seem a little, a little hot. Let me see if I can get some from another... Um, odd system. Um, Hayes King's market has gone up, so that's good to know um, after being named the starter there. Um, I just want odds. Okay, here we go. Um, 
so they've come down a little bit. Jackson Smith and Jigma is still at plus 2,500. I understand it was a bit of a down year when Devontae Smith won it, but just looking at the number he's put up last year um, as basically the number three guy, um, he's now the clear-cut number one guy in this offense. It'll be interesting to see the numbers he can put up. And then, as I mentioned, Dylan Gabriel getting some love um, at plus 3,000. Quinn Ewers, plus 3,500 on this app. Uh, Trayvon Henderson, 3,500. If Bijan isn't going to win it, then Trayvon Henderson, I don't think, is going to win it. And then Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback for Miami that I told you, I don't buy into that at all. I don't get why he's so high up there. Um, I'm going to say CJ Shroud wins it. I think it's quite kind of obvious if that offense pans out to be as good as it's supposed to. Um it's going to be largely because of him, and I think he'll, as long as they don't drop a terrible game like they did against Michigan last year, he'll have like the record-wise to win it as well, so I'm going to give it to C.A. Shroud. All right, uh, now is the time of the show where I, per- I just make a fool of myself because I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, going into the playoff, let me backtrack. Going into this season um, as an Ohio State fan, I am doing about a 180. Typically, I try and be like reserved and be like, oh, yes, we're favored in these games, but I'm a little bit more concerned here and there, here and there. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think Ohio State is going to win the national championship this year. I'm not like a thousand percent sure, but those are my expectations. Um, I will be devastated if they do not. Um, I don't want to lose any games in the regular season. I understand that they probably could. They would need to win the Big Ten Championship to get in, probably as a four seed if they do that. Um, and I understand that. But it has sort of made my, like, thinking about the tougher games that Ohio State has this year, just looking at their schedule, Obviously, they open up with Notre Dame, but then they have they bring in Wisconsin. They have to go to Michigan State. They bring in what will be Iowa, which is probably a decent team. They always are. Um, they have to go to Penn State, and then they have to um, bring in Michigan at the end and then probably play Wisconsin or, as I said, Iowa or a good Northwestern team maybe out of the West. Um it has made me approach these tougher games sort of like I obviously want to win them, but it's also, hey, if we lose this, obviously it becomes harder because we can't lose again. But at the end of the day, we're going to win the national championship. So we have that to look forward to even if we lose these games. So it's freed me up a little bit with that thinking. Um, going in, though, I do think Alabama and Georgia are probably going to be undefeated each going into the SEC championship game. Um, I think they are just probably clearly a little cut um, above the rest. Um, Looking at Alabama's schedule, you're not going to be impressed by it by any means. Um, They go to Texas. They should handle that pretty comfortably. Um, Maybe Arkansas gives them a scare since it's at Arkansas. Um, The biggest game of the year probably for them is when they welcome Texas A&M the second week of October. Um, But that there's so much emotion behind that that Nick Saban's probably going to run that score all the way up. Tennessee 
I think by that time we're going to have a pretty good idea of if we should like be concerned and maybe try and talk ourselves into an upset there or if Tennessee is just wildly disappointed again. Um, at LSU, I think under Kelly, that first year is sort of a wash. And then Ole Miss, again, it's the third to last game of the year. We'll know by then if we should be concerned. Um, we talked through Georgia's schedule a little bit. Um, so I do think there's a good chance that those two teams are undefeated going into the SEC championship game again. Um, and then we can look a team that I'm flirting with putting in my um, college football playoff is Utah. They have Florida. Obviously, if they go and they win that, then I think it's all like they're gaining momentum. They're all like they're running downhill from there because they got Southern Utah, San Diego State, Arizona State, Oregon State. Um, they have to go to UCLA, but then the big matchup, obviously, um, October 15th when they welcome uh USC in and then at the end of the year they have to play Oregon at Oregon so I think with the resume if they were to run the table um, they have to run the table to get in obviously but if they were to run the table I think they are confidently confidently in especially as a conference champion Clemson for some reason I can't get them out of my mind I think maybe they might have a chance just because of name brand value, obviously, and also the ACC. But looking at their schedule, which I understand if they run the table and they win the ACC, they're going to fucking get in. But who am I supposed to care about? Like Wake Forest, if they don't have Hartman, they're not good enough. North Carolina State, to be determined. And then their next toughest game is Notre Dame at the end of the year. Um I'm not really all that concerned. You could say South Carolina maybe at the end, uh, but that all depends on Spencer Rattler, who he's falling off a cliff basically. So really I wrote down really only six teams. I talked about five of them. Baylor is another team that I think has a chance. Um, BYU, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and then TCU and Texas. I think that's a tougher schedule than not. Um, so I, what I think I'm going to do is I think it's going to go the other way around. Um, Alabama and Georgia are going to play in the, uh, SEC championship game as the number one and number three team in the country. Okay. Um, Ohio state is going to win the big 10. Um, I don't care against who, and I'm I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna put Utah in. Utah is going to be in the cha- in the college football playoff. So I go back to the SEC championship game. Alabama is gonna be number three. Excuse me. Alabama is gonna be number one. Georgia is gonna be number three going into that game. Alabama is going to. Nope. I'm gonna take this back. We're gonna flip it. Georgia is going to beat Alabama making them the new, I don't know if you jump the Ohio State at that point, they probably will, um, they make them the number one team. And then I think it stays the way Alabama becomes number three, Ohio State is number two, Utah is number four. Georgia probably beats Utah, um, and then Ohio State has to go up against Alabama as the 2-3 matchup. Ohio State wins that, and Ohio State beats Georgia. I don't really care. Um, At any point after that, like I said, it is championship or bust this year as an Ohio State fan. That's why these picks are reflected that way. I know the popular pick is Alabama 
Alabama and Ohio State, that's obviously one-two wash. I have no problem with that. Um, I think I would maybe rather play Alabama. I'm not sure. Um, but, again, I have Alabama being the three. So, my it goes Georgia, one. They'll probably jump Ohio State. Who knows? If they don't, then I would go Ohio State would play Utah. And Georgia and Alabama would have a rematch in the college football playoff in the first week. I appreciate that guy skidding past. He probably thinks these are terrible picks. Uh, but if not, like I said, Ohio State jumps to number one and they'd play Utah. I'm fine with that. Um, and Alabama and Georgia play each other again. I don't think the college football playoff committee is going to do that. This is probably going to be wrong anyway. Um, maybe none of these four teams make it. But in my perfect little world... Ohio State wins the national championship, and they uh, go through Alabama and they go through Georgia to do it. But that's just my perfect little world. That is going to do it for this episode of the Sack. It's extremely long. We're going to have an extremely long long one next week. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave you with this. Thank you so much for listening. I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, Give me a break if at times things get a little loud or soft or anything. I'm working with a new mic. Shout out to my roommate, Andrew Crum, for letting me borrow his. Um, I'm still getting accustomed to it. I'm going to get in the editing bay a little bit and try and tone it down a little bit. Um, But again, if there are some high marks there i apologize uh like rate review subscribe all the other good shit on itunes soundcloud spotify wherever you get your podcast from um thank you so much for tuning in this is my seventh year doing this i hope the seventh year is the best year for carson sack podcast and as we always end here on carson sack podcast where we talk balls we will be See the fans don't give up When I roll 20 feet So I'm probably in the club Now I'm in the boat Right here Everybody's gonna be low I'm selling them in the club I'm ready to be low I'm gonna be letting the chain grow down These are us We give it in the pit And now you're trees up Then by the time I'm moving I'm sick before I play a pit I've been hit with a few shells Now I'm walking with limp I'm all right. In the hood, in the light They say I'm 50, you hot uh-huh. They like me, I want them to love me Like they love pop But how